Welcome to the Youth School Podcast, where we believe inside of everybody there is a great story waiting to be discovered and lived. This is the show where we guide you on your journey in discovering what your story could be. It's your life. Don't let anybody else write it. Welcome to the U-School Podcast. My name is Drake Fages. I'm the lead guide and director of our athletic programs. The U-School Athletics uh, is dedicated to helping athletes, coaches, and parents write their unique story inside and outside of sport. And I don't think that we could have a better guest on the show, uh, Thane Marcus Ringer. Uh, man, guys, this, this guy is full of talents. So many sides of him that I've yet to uncover. Uh, but he's a published author, speaker, he's a co-host of the Up and Comers podcast, he's a coffee connoisseur, and he's a former professional golfer. Come on. Like, if there's anything that I want to be, it's all of those, um, mainly the golfing. But uh, on our theme of the month, thank you kindly, uh, Thane, thank you for being on the show. Drake, thanks so much for having me. It's been fun to connect more the last month or two and excited to chat today. Yeah, man, it's awesome. Let's jump into it. Before we get into all the awesome things that you're doing now, um, let's take a step back. Let's take a step back into the young Thane, the, the boy, the, uh, the, the, bright-eyed, uh, <laughs> the bright-eyed kid. Uh, walk me through where you're from. Um, and maybe let's start talking about uh, your enrollment and involvement in sport. Where did that start? Give us a little taste of where you're coming from. I love it. Yeah. So I grew up in Hutchinson, Kansas, the original, the true H town. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no. So it's a small town in the Midwest, uh, middle of America and a great place to grow up. Just loved uh, my childhood there, loved the people there, and loved the community and culture there. I, I loved sport as well, um, as you know. And my dad, he was a great athlete. He played both uh, tennis and basketball in college. Okay. And um, my mom was athletic as well. I think she was a cheerleader. And so it was kind of one of those natural things. And just being outside, getting to play stuff with my dad when I was a little kid. I mean, that's what, that's what you live for, right, as a child. Right. So totally. um, that was, I, I have fond memories of just getting in the backyard, throwing the ball around, uh, swinging the club, that kind of stuff. And uh, he got a club in my hand early. I mean, from what I know, three, around three years old, I had a club and was swinging it. So it was pretty early on that I was, I was working on the golf swing. Yeah. Was golf something that your dad did? Is that one of his hobbies? Yeah. Yeah. And it was really, you know, it's a lifetime sport. So a big motivation for him was to get us in, my sister played tennis and I played golf. So to get us in those kind of country club lifetime sports that you can do with anyone, anywhere, anytime. And also golf you can do on your own, which is cool. We, it helped. We lived about a mile away from one of the best golf courses in the country, Prairie Dunes Country Club. Yeah. And it is just a gem um, in the middle of nowhere. It's just such a blessing <laughs> to be able to grow up there. No, that's awesome. It's one being by a country club, two being one that's in the middle of nowhere where people actually have to come to and make mm -hmm. a priority. So there's probably some open tea times. 
regularly. Yeah, and you know, it's one of those things too. I mean, uh, country clubs can be stuffy, right? It's a <laughs> lot of people with a lot of money that think a lot of themselves. And so getting into a place in Kansas where that's definitely not as prevalent was, was super nice. Like, it's just a great environment, very loving people, friendly people, and not this, you know, this, this kind of high up nature of stuffiness. So I, I, that's one of my favorite parts of it. It's just a very down to earth place. Yeah. And, and growing up a golfer, was that a cool thing in Kansas? Um, I don't know. I don't know if it was cool, quote unquote, but, um, I, you know, they, they, I had some good friends that played and I played all other sports too. So I played basketball. I play. I did track in in elementary, middle school, and then we did church softball, that kind of stuff. Um, and really, any sport that I could pick up and play with friends, I was doing. So it was just you're just very active, you know. And especially in Kansas, it's it has four seasons. It has diversity in that, so you can't just play one thing year round, which is such a blessing. I mean, now that I live in California, it's I can't imagine uh, you know growing up as a kid and and some of the has these parents have kids on nowadays is like you're gonna pick one sport at age five and then play it all year round until you're 20 and you can be the next prodigy and that just and that would have been life sucking for me it was just such a blessing to have that diversity of interests and getting to experience a lot of different things i love that too and that i think that kind of goes into a lot of who you are now that being life sucking for you Mm -hmm. so many kids these days just follow the path that's put in front of them uh, whether it's, oh my gosh, the easiest way to get a scholarship or, oh, wow, let me show you off to my friends, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. We don't have to talk about that. So let's, let's <laughs> that for, another, for another time. Yes. Uh, yeah. But walk me into, okay, you play a bunch of different sports, being involved in a lot of different things growing up. When was it that you realized, well, maybe, maybe golf is the thing. Maybe I could do this professionally or uh, collegiately. When, when was that? Yeah, I always had natural talent. So there was definitely a component there that was mm-hmm. God given. Um, there, and there was the nurturing side, right? The developing side. And it was clear that I was, I had the skill and I had the tools. And early on, um, you know, I was one of the better junior golfers in the state. And so just seeing that from experience, from competing and understanding uh, the skills that I had just from other people, you know, telling me and, and kind of seeing, you know, as a kid, you're kind of ignorant of everything. But Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, once I got into high school, it really, my vision started narrowing more and more on it. it. And for my dad, it was always a huge dream, right? For me to play professionally and, and he would always talk about it. And, and for me, I was so, I, I don't know, I think it's part of his fear, but a part of me was just so much of a realist that I was like, I, I never really let myself entertain that thought because it was so far down the road. I, I basically would kind of brush off my dad and be like, well, we'll yeah. see. You know? <laughs> but because I didn't want it to, I didn't want to have my expectations too high and have them let down ultimately. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it was, it was something that early on there was glimpses that this could be a good option. Um, it just what time would tell. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's great. So then moving from, from Kansas, you moved your talents, you brought your talents to the West coast. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I uh, I came out and played collegiately at the Masters University, which we talked about this earlier. You were a Biola yeah. guy, so yeah. the rivalry there. But um, yeah, it was. I met the team when I was in high school. Met the coach, the guys. Um, it's a Christian school, which aligns with my faith, and I love what they stood for. I love the coach, and 
being in California, you know, playing year round was definitely a plus. So all those things I really committed early on in high school. That's where I felt God was leading me and where I needed to be. So I didn't really entertain, even though a lot of the schools in Kansas were reaching out and, um, you know, I, I definitely, um, could have easily played on a D one team, but I knew this is where God wanted me. And so, um, I came out, uh, spent four years competing out here at, at, um, the masters. And then, uh, after graduation ended up turning professional pretty much that same month. So it was quite, walk me through what that's like. Not a lot of people, uh, know the process that it takes to become a professional is that how 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 much is that offered to the general collegiate public like what what does that look like yeah golf's really unique in that it's an open platform so really anyone who wants to can play professionally now not everyone will yeah even you oh my god all it takes is literally declaring your professional status and entering into a professional tournament and playing in it um as a professional um and you get your status right like it's it's not anything more than that now a lot of guys won't do that because there's a period of like limbo probation time in between professional and amateur when you get your amateur status back and really if you're not serious about playing professionally you can play in way better tournaments way better courses as an amateur than a professional okay Um, so there's some limitations to doing it but but at the end of the day it takes a ton of time and a ton of money Um, Mm -hmm. and so those are the two biggest limiting factors and but the cool thing is it's not, you know, a, a, it's not as, um, as, as business-centered as a lot of the professional sports, right? A lot of the professional sport, sports, it's very much a business and it's very much um, political, right? So you can't just have an even opportunity. A lot of the you know, professional baseball, they put their stakes behind certain players and they're going to do what they can to make that investment pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so anyways, yeah, golf. Um, I, I, I wanted to do it where I could expedite the process. A lot of guys will do what they'll do is upon graduating, they'll, they'll play the summer as an amateur, try and get some more uh, recognition and then try to raise funding that fall for Q school. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of speed up the process. So actually, between my junior and senior year in college, I, that was when I was going to, I made the decision whether or not I was going to pursue it. Okay. And so after I decided that it, after seeking counsel, talking to a lot of uh, friends, family, advisors, all that, coaches, um, it became clear this was a good option and kind of the, the, the door God could be opening. Yeah. And so um, my senior year, then I spent most of the year writing a business, developing a business plan around myself and pursuing um professional golf and then pitched it to you know uh, pl- uh like over 20 people um that i knew and god blessed me with about 11 different sponsors and investors and and that provided me the funding to get started right after graduation so that i could i could spend that summer competing and kind of learning the ropes before q school that fall and and get a little bit of a head start and not waste any time wow that's so interesting and, and I'm, a, I'm a former baseball player, and, and the roadmap for a baseball player is you practice and you lift weights and you crush protein shakes, and hopefully somebody says, yeah, you're good enough, so come and join us. Mm-hmm. We'll pay you or we won't, or hey, walk on here or don't walk on here because you can't. Uh, it's, so, it's such a different and almost a refreshing uh, route to being a professional. It's, it's actually putting um, the horse before the cart in a lot of sense of Mm. you're walking into something where it's uh it's strategic it's mapped out 
uh, and then there's actually support and things going in there. Um, that's really neat. You mentioned uh, Q School. What, yes. what is that? So Q School is basically the front door entrance into the PGA Tour or the path to the PGA Tour. They've been, they, over the last 10 years, they've changed things quite a bit. But the way it is now is basically the PGA Tour owns many other subsidiary or developmental, developmental tours. They're kind of tiers of a ladder. So the three tiers are, number one is obviously the PGA Tour and the European Tour. The PGA Tour is the number one tour in the world. Um, Europeans close second. And then below that, you have subsidiary tours that are kind of the feeder systems, like, like AAA baseball yeah, yeah. ways. Um, so for the PGA Tour, that's the web.com tour. Um, and to get onto the web.com tour, uh, you have to, there's a backdoor entrance, but the front door entrance is to go through Q School, which is basically a series of four different tournaments um, over the fall months, usually over like starting in late August, early September and going through December. And it's about just under six grand now, 5,500 bucks to play in. Um, and if you don't make it through, you, I mean, you don't get any of your money back if you don't make it through. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a massive investment, massive risk, and extremely hard to get through um, because you're competing at each. It, so for each stage, each of the four stages, there's there's multiple tournaments for each stage in different locations. On an, and on each stage, different levels of guys are exempted in to later and later rounds based on past results. Okay. So. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's one of the most pressure packed um series of tournaments because of the amount invested the amount that rides on it that's is staked yeah. on it. at the end of the day only 25 players get full status off that and then a wow. bunch of people will get conditional um and in conditional status is no walk in the park either because you can you know once there's reshuffles of status throughout the year it's kind of complex but yeah. basically uh, you have to really prove your worth early on in the season if you're going to keep getting events so so i'm assuming that that went well for you well no actually um most of my most of my uh, time playing professionally did not go well uh, results wise so i played a lot on the developmental tours which is a third rung of the ladder um, yeah. which is um a lot of smaller tours around the around the country um and then they have them all over the place and they're basically glorified money matches they're pay to play right so you're paying 1200 bucks a pop and if you don't make the cut you don't get anything back if you make mm -hmm. the cut you have to finish in the top 15 or 20 or you're not making any money at all and if you don't win you really won't make any money anyways because expenses are so high for traveling and all that so it's they're they're brutal environments right it's very much like little it's like you know single a pro ball yeah. it's it's not a it's an absolute player. grind absolute grind mm -hmm. absolute grind and so that's where i spent the majority of my time i did get to play on the one asia tour i had conditional status on the one asia tour for 2015 those were a lot bigger a lot better events but i, I wasn't able to capitalize on them um and so I, I missed the cut on each one after being in great position after early on in the round so there was a lot of failure, um, and I learned a lot through those times. Um, and and God had other plans because, right as we talked about before, right when I right when I started to get momentum on my side and started to get some progress, I got hit with a series of injuries that really derailed all momentum and ended up um, kind of leading me out of the world of professional golf. Yeah. 
but and, and that's a that's a thing that's within sport culture as a whole right when you have professional golfer next to your name you think it's uh clouds and money <laughs> and uh and you're flying with jets and these types of things you see the match with phil and tiger and, and it's not like that uh and you get that professional athlete uh dream that's in front of you and and, and you're assuming that it's this uh, wonderful thing because of this ability that you have, but that's not the case um, for so it's many. It's not. People, it's not. Right? So yeah. tell me a little bit and, more and about. You know that. Yeah, go for it. That the average time it takes for guys to get the PGA Tour is seven to ten years. Yeah. So literally, over ninety, probably ninety plus percent of the people on the PGA Tour have been grinding through these different ranks. For seven to ten years to get there and and the people that we know the most about right are the superstars the one percent of the one percent that do have um the early opportunities and capitalize on all of the early opportunities that's what great champions do right it's not that they're the only ones that get breaks they're the ones that actually capitalize on the breaks they get when they get them yeah. the rest of the guys miss out and learn from that and then keep growing over a long period of time to get there but it's definitely not a fairy tale as you said <laughs> Yeah. So, so walk me through you moving into the transition away from sport. We talked earlier uh, and in the past about injuries, some things that we have in common. Um, walk me through when you saw the end approaching, what that was like, and then walk, uh, walk me through what that transition was for you. Was it a moment? Was it people? Were they conversations? Walk me, uh, walk me into that a little bit. Yeah, it was uh, it was brutally hard, right? To be honest, it's just it was just really trying. I mean, my last year and a half of my career was off and on with this muscle strain in my back, and there was so many doubts, there's so many unknowns, there's so many questions of, man, will I ever get to play golf again? Will I ever get to play pain-free golf again? Um, what is this going, can I get back into competition? Is this a waste of time? You know, like, what am I doing wrong? Trying to solve the problem with the body. So it was really a season of time where um, I just had to live in a, a large uh, degree of tension and just not knowing, you know, it, it was a confusing thing. Um, and during that time, I think God just really broadened some of my interests and, and just even what I was doing. I mean, I, part of that part of the stuff that I started was I just didn't want to sit around recovering and working on short game. I wanted to actually do something and be productive while mm -hmm. I was working on that. And so I ended up starting a podcast with my friend Adam and, and we've been doing that for a couple of years now called the up and comer show. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of one of those things like, man, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts on the road. I've got some extra time right now. Like let's start it up. And, um, and so through that and through other ideas, God kind of uh, started shifting at least a little bit of my desires. My initial business plan for golf was three years and then reevaluate with the investors okay. and sponsors, um, which gave me, I thought, a really good sample size to really evaluate accurately. And at the end of three and a half years was kind of at the end of that time. And with the injuries and with the, my body still being somewhat unresolved, I took about two to three months to really evaluate, reflect, seek counsel, meditate, seek the Lord, um, and, and just really discern, is this, um, it, do I need to recommit or is it time to pick a new path? And it became clear to me that the biggest question was, who do I think I've been created, called, and equipped to be? And the answer to that really ended up being that 
I could be, I really felt I could be more effective in the world and more helpful in the world outside of golf than within it because mm-hmm. of the skills that God's given me and the passions and the interests and all that. And that was really the decision-making factor because for me, right, I still like the match you just mentioned. I watched the match and like, it gets me so amped and all I want to do is go back out there and compete and get to that level. Like that is so, um, I, I long for that still, right? And, and, but that's just not what God has for me and, and that's okay. Um, and so that transition is brutally hard because it's attached to our identity. And this is something I talk about a lot, but it's so true, right? We, we often as- associate what we do with who we are, and those are two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting clear about what our true identity is at our core is what is helpful for making major transitions like that in life. No, that's, I mean, you're speaking, you're speaking literally my ideas, my thoughts, I should hire you. You, uh, you really are honing in on probably the biggest thing and the biggest um, object that's been brushed under the rug in sport culture uh, and on a lot of, a lot of different cultures around uh, and institutions around the United States is this idea of what you do is who you are. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's not true. Um, there's so many other factors that form the person that we are. There's so many different roles, uh, but we fall in love and we think that uh, the, the glorious or the glamorous or the stuff we spend our most time in is the portion that controls the rest of it. And that isn't true. There's a hardware, there's a foundation that needs to be discovered and unlocked uh, in order to actually own the roles as big and small that we play throughout our lives. Um, that's good. You mentioned uh, you took a step back to really evaluate why you were created, what you were called for and equipped to be. Um, could you walk into that a little bit more and those three points being created, called and equipped? Uh, how, would you, how would you put that in front of somebody who's either going through a sport transition or going through any sort of transition? Uh, how would you put those three things um, tangible things that they can do uh for themselves yeah it's a really important point and something that i i work with people as well on on because getting clear about the vision for your life is so important especially um in in the earlier stages of career or even in any career transition or in a place where you just really need to get back on track right and so when you when it, the language is really important too like you highlighted right and so i'm i'm operating from a biblical worldview but it applies whether or not you are um so created called and equipped created is your your natural wiring, right? We all have individual strengths and weaknesses. We all have natural characteristics that are different than other people. You're a unique individual. And so really tapping into, okay, what are my natural, natural wirings, natural inclinations, and natural strengths? Then you get into called, right? And the call is what is your heart so passionate about you can't help not doing, mm-hmm. right? Where does your greatest longing meet the world's greatest need what is that calling upon right. your life yeah it's the mission How can you feel it's, that the mission, yeah we, right? we steal it from our military our military work that we do in our veterans is they're on a mission to solve problems what is that problem you can't stay away from the thing that pisses you off the thing that you love that's inspiring what is that uh let's not necessarily get caught up in like i'm passionate about baseball i can't do that anymore 
right? Yeah. Uh, so what is that problem that you can't stay away from? I love that. Keep going. You're yeah, the, the itch you can't help but scratch, right? Yeah. yeah. And if it's around long enough and no one else is scratching it, well, it probably means you need to scratch it. You know? Yeah, right. Um, and so then, you know, the equip side is, okay, what has my life held and what have the events and the experiences and the knowledge that I've gained from my life experiences thus far? What does that equip me for? What is that? How is that? What has that given me that I can now give to others? Mm -hmm. And how can I best use that experience and capitalize on that for the greater good of others? So I think those are, that's why that language is really important and really helpful in thinking about that season. Right. And oftentimes when you're in that, I put myself into that. And even as a, as a new dad, uh, mm. this season of transition, I have a five month old. Wow. It's, it's, it's finding clarity to actually carve out time to actually stop and self-reflect on some of those things. Like, what is it? Let me remind myself. And if I haven't done it before, how do we start asking ourselves questions that we don't even know? right? And it's totally. simple. It's what do you believe and what do you want to contribute? What do you want people to think about you or say about you? Or what do you think that they say or think about you? Starting there and looking at big problems to small problems. It's stuff that you have to carve out time to do that. Um, and you have to do that sooner, right? If you, if you didn't have uh, put yourself in a position to think about that, if you throw yourself back into that I'm starting and I see transition. I see the end in sight. I have that three-year gap that you actually set up in a business plan, but it's also, man, this is coming up faster than I thought and it's not looking the way that I thought it would look. You got to carve out the space to actually have conversations leading up to that. So it's not that, okay, I'm just going to jump into something, uh, take the, the, the road less traveled or the path of least resistance. There's actually some process that has to go in prior to leaving, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're speaking to intentionality, right? Like yeah. you, life doesn't just happen. Things don't just happen by chance. Nothing happens by chance. We have to carry intention with the work that we do and the daily decisions and choices and actions that we take. And really, also, you're speaking to the power of perspective, right? With every situation, we have complete control over our perspective of it. Um, and there's some great books on that, right? I mean, Carol Dweck's growth versus fixed mindset is just a huge, um, a huge work on that, but it's just, it's, it's really just taking ownership of it and, and believing. you know, and that's something I talk about too a lot. And there's two, there's two components of it. It's <laughs> preaching truth to ourselves. So telling us that we need to take that space that we need to, um, create time for reflection and really get clear about who we are and where we're going. And then there's the believing the truth, right? So preaching yeah. the truth is one half, but believing the truth means you're actually acting on it. The only way you believe something is if you act on what you know. And so there, that's the, the massively important second step that is the hardest part, right? And, and there's a great quote, I can't remember who, the, who it's by, but he said that it's a lot easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than think your way into a new way of acting. Um, and it's so true. It's probably throw. He's just all, he's all of those, right? <laughs> just we'll tag it to him. We'll figure it out. We'll put it in the, the link. Um, but okay. So, so you, you come to the conclusion that man, uh, this professional, this plan, this, uh, this vision of who I thought I was going to be and what I was going to do, uh, is now ending. Um, and so you do what? Let's walk into now, uh, assuming that this is over the last two years of your life now, uh, from present day back, 
what have you been up to? I know that um, there's a there's a shiny green thing out there uh, that we need to talk about that people need to know about. Um, walk me through into what you did. Well, uh, the the short of it is too much, <laughs> but <laughs> but that's fun because I've learned a lot. Um, so one of the things I started was um, January of 2017. I was flying to Thailand for an Asian tour qualifier. And I had re-aggravated my injury the week before I left. So in my heart, I knew I wasn't going to be able to compete, but I had to try. So on the plane, I was thinking, man, what could I do to repay my investors and sponsors for the gift they've given me in this, in this journey of professional golf? And that's where this initial idea of a book came from. Like, man, it'd be sweet to write about what I learned and gift that back to them uh, for what they've given me. And so that was the initial seed. And then fast forward when the injury had recurred again later that summer in 2017, I got the space and was like, I'm just going to start writing. And so yeah. I took a month to figure it out and then two months to really just start puking out the initial draft and content and started out, started having this draft for a book. Um, and then 18 months of, you know, of working and writing and refining and all that led to this last month when it officially launched. Uh, so that was a big focus for me. I knew I had that. And actually, I, my goal is to finish the initial draft by the end of 2017. So in that transition, that was a big focus of mine, finishing the draft, getting the book done. Mm -hmm. um, and then really, you know, it's just looking at, okay, uh, there was, there's really two overall overarching paths. It's one, like, uh, try to create something new and do the entrepreneurial journey on your own or two, join with an existing company. And, and just in evaluating and self-evaluation, it became clear, like I have so much internal motivation and drive mm -hmm. and so many passions and interests that I am well-suited for the entrepreneurial journey. Um, so that's part of why I chose to go that route. Um, yeah. And, you know, th with that, I've learned, you know, in the last year with that journey that I've over leveraged myself and over committed and those are typical things with entrepreneurs but um but yeah it started out by working on developing um a collaboration work is what i call it but it's a combination of coaching consulting and creating um coming alongside entrepreneurs and freelancers to help them by taking the professional athletes mindset to everyday people in everyday life and it started out by just targeting you know a handful of friends and saying hey this is what i'm thinking of doing would you be interested in me just testing out on you? And um, I, I worked with them for four to five months uh, and just really honed in on what it was I was doing, what was the value I was adding, and how can this be helpful for others? Or is it really helpful? And um, the evidence was clear that it, that it is, and, um, and I really enjoyed that process. And so really leaning into that, building into that, um, and then starting several other things along the way. Um, so it's been... A, a, a very interesting year and, and the word of the year is build. Uh -huh. uh, I don't know if you ever do words of the year, but uh, they're a great kind of a different form of resolutions. You just pick one word and, and kind of that can be your theme for the year. And that's a cool thing. It shifts enough, oh, you know, cool. broadly applies so it can fit many different things. But I chose the word build for this year for good reason, right? It's building into what's next mm -hmm. and, and building takes a long amount of time, right? right? It is not overnight. And I got a couple months into the year and it was like kind of novel still and exciting. But then, you know, you get halfway through and you're like, wow, this is a, this is a, this isn't a short term I'm back, word. Yeah. I'm yeah. back into a different form of the grind, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. 
So the book, From Here to There, A Quarter-Life Perspective on the Path to Mastery. I, one, first thing is the book covers green. It just reeks of a fairway. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but then also I love the, the quarter-life perspective. It's your unique take on the first quarter of your life. Where has it taken you? Where are you going? Uh, if you could give listeners uh, a taste of what that book is like, uh, hit them with it. Yes. So the taste is this phrase that goes, simplicity on the far side of complexity. That's really what the book is based on. And that's inferring that mastery is simplicity on the far side of complexity. And from that, you can kind of pull this really simplified equation that, that pursuing mastery follows a process of simplicity, complexity, simplicity. And we're all on that process in some regard and somewhere on that process and on the spectrum in that. And so from that, I, I, I um, combined it into mental models or ideas or frameworks to think about different parts of the process. So there's the simplicity phase, which talks about the overall path to mastery. It talks about learning and how to, it talks about commitment first and how to be committed and then learning and how to learn. And then you move into more of the complexity phase where it talks about being teachable and having discernment with that. And then it talks about fears that we face. And then it talks about systems and how we apply systems to our work. Um, and then the final simplicity phase, the far side simplicity, that's moving towards mastery um, it, it involves momentum and recognizing momentum in life. It involves failure and what failure's real role in life is. And it talks about perspective and the power that perspective has. So it really is a, it, it's providing tools, frameworks for thinking about where we are in the path to mastery, where we are in that process. And then it, and then it gives specific applications that you can provide um, in, to apply it to your life in every day. That's awesome, man. So. If you were to see me and Thane next to each other, there's not much that we have in common. Thane is fit. I have a little bit of meat on my bones. He's clean shaven. He's got swag. I got hair all over the place and my wife still dresses me. Uh, but there are, there are two things that we have in common. It, we love sports and we love maximizing people's potential. Uh, Thane, I could not thank you enough for being on this uh, show to do the work that you do. They, we need more builders. We need, need more people like you. So people, please, please, please go to thanemarcus.com. That's where you could buy his book. You could catch up on all the other blogs and writing that he does. The Up and Comers podcasts. Get there. The guy is smart. He's wise. Further beyond his years. Um, thank you, Thane, for joining me on this. Thanks, Drake. I appreciate the kind words. And, and we truly are in this journey of life together. And uh, it's a fun journey uh, full of ups and downs. But again, like I, the thing I always like to leave people with is just if we can take ownership of our lives individually and never settle for less than we're capable of, then it'll be truly remarkable to see what we can accomplish um, both individually and societally. I love it. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Thane. Guys, go out and remember, don't let anybody else write your story.
Thank you for tuning in to the U-School podcast. We want you to know about our brand new LifeScript course. Our flagship program that we offer is now available in a digital environment on our website. The course is designed to help anyone who is in a period of life transition to reflect on the big questions that matter the most. Questions like, who am I? What's my story? What do I believe in? What kind of person do I want to become? What's my mission in life? How can I best contribute? And who do I belong to? The digital course has been designed to be intuitive and deeply human. You will recruit your own team of life advisors to track with you the entire time you engage in self-reflection, giving you the feedback and support you need to write a great story for the next chapter. Just go to theuschool.com and if you sign up, use the promo code PODCAST10 to get $10 off the list price. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T and the number 10. Remember, you only get one life. Make sure your life reads like a great story.